Welcome to Pro Audio Profiles. My name is Brendan Decora, and each week I'll be hosting different guests, mainly engineers and producers, but also people from across the industry. Enjoy. On today's show, we have Brent Fisher. He's a composer and arranger who has credits with D'Angelo, Usher, Elvis Costello and the Roots, and many more. Enjoy. So first and foremost, I want to thank you for being here. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Yeah. Awesome. Um, I'd like to start by, if you could go over your history a little bit. I know you spent a long time with your dad and that kind of thing coming up, so... That's my wanna... first memory in life is yeah. lying under, you know, my, my father was Dr. Claire Fisher, mm-hmm. also a Grammy-winning producer, composer, arranger. Right. And uh, my first memories are being a, a toddler and laying underneath his grand piano with right. the family dog and listening to him write, practice, compose, nice. uh, you know, work up something. And, uh, and from there, it just sort of uh, mushroomed out. I, uh, I, I got interested in drums. Okay. My dad got me a drum set when I was about five. Mm-hmm. I just sort of banged on him at first. And then this, you know, drummer <laughs> friend of his came over and went, dun, dun, da, dun, yep. dun, da. And then I thought, oh man, that's what they've been doing. And, you know, from then on, I, w- I was hooked. And, and then I, I switched over to electric bass when I okay. was 14 because I was, I was like rehearsing. We were, I don't know, something like a Van Halen cover band mm-hmm. or something mm-hmm. at the time. And, and I was watching the guitarist try and teach a bass line to the bassist, and he wasn't getting it. <laughs> and, and they finally got frustrated, and they walked out of the room to, you know, like do a bong hit or something. Right. And then uh, I, I uh, you know, I just picked up the bass, and I started, I played that line. I said, right. this is cool. I, I can do this. And so I switched to electric bass, but I still, nice. you know, kept on... Uh, I, I I got work as an electric bassist, right? But I, you know I was still a drummer and percussionist, so I got my degree in symphony percussion. Okay. Paid for by gigging on electric bass. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, and then I did a lot of touring for a long time. But all nice. the all the while while this was going on, you know, my dad was I mean going way back first with jazz artists uh, Cal Jader, Dizzy Gillespie writing right. uh, orchestrations for them, and then got into you know like Santana. Uh, Rufus, mm-hmm. and my, my cousin Andre Fisher was one of the founding members of uh, Rufus, and so he hired okay. my dad to do orchestral arrangements, right. and and, uh, and so I was hanging out at all those sessions. You know, basically, I was in the studio from the time I was about five years old. Nice. As soon as my dad knew that I understood, remember the the red light. There used to be a red yeah, yeah. recording yeah. light yep. that would go on, <laughs> you know, and it'd be out in the hallway too. So. As soon as he knew that I understood, you know, mm-hmm. I was old enough to understand that when right. the red light goes on, you don't make a sound. Yeah. Then he started bringing me with him. Right. And I got nice. to watch all these, you know, I sat next to all these great drummers and watched them and, and, and then learned about kind of studio life. Yeah. And, uh, you know, what goes on in the control room and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then from there, I just, I started assisting him. So, nice. uh, you know, he saw my abilities on the electric bass kind of explode. Right. And and uh, his bass player was leaving his group uh, okay. at the time, Grammy-winning uh, Claire Fisher and Salsa Picante, mm-hmm. which uh, I still run that group. We still perform. Yeah. You know, <laughs> nice. all, the, all the Claire Fisher ensembles, yeah, we nice. still do stuff um, besides my own groups. And, uh, and then, you know, uh, he started me 
as his assistant, uh, just kind of helping him out with various tasks on mm-hmm. projects right. uh, from the time I was 15 years old. And then he put me on electric bass in his group. Yeah. I did my first uh, album at uh, Capitol okay. Records in Hollywood in uh, 1980 or 81. Mm-hmm. That won a Grammy, so that was a Dang. good way to start my nice. career. <laughs> and then I ended up doing a lot of touring with you know a bunch of different bands uh, mm-hmm. over the years. But there was always this studio work, because right. Dad was always having to... Uh, write, uh, arrange, and, mm-hmm. and produce for other artists, and, and then also his own solo career. Yeah. So I was I was always around the gear, and I did not become a gearhead. Yeah. I didn't, you know, <laughs> I, I leave that to you guys. You right. know, I do not have a home studio. My home right. studio is, I mean, I have a, I have a rehearsal room where right. I can fit a large number of musicians to rehearse. Okay. I, can, right. I can rehearse my big band in there. Nice. And uh, we, you know, so, so, but that becomes a recording studio when an engineer shows up with a laptop right. and some gear and, <laughs> and, and turns it into what I need because right. I, I rely on all of you guys. Nice. I'm never going to do all the home studio <laughs> yeah. thing where I, you know, set up the microphone myself and get right. levels and no, right. no, I, I concentrate on, you know, I'm concentrating on pitches and rhythms right, right. and harmony and, and nice. stuff like that. So I, uh, I rely on, I've relied on engineers all my life and that's, awesome. you know, that's the way my father was. And, uh, so yeah, so I, I started working for him. Then I started, mm-hmm. uh, you know, as the years progressed, uh, I became, you know, like his co-arranger on things, sometimes right. ghost writing stuff for him okay. when he was getting busy. And then towards the end of his life, keeping him as involved in these projects mm-hmm. as, uh, you know, as he possibly could be. Right. And uh, I remember another, uh, you know, another thing, uh, Capitol Records, uh, Capitol Studios, actually, again, um uh, 2009, we were recording a thing for Michael Jackson. Mm-hmm. Uh, it had uh, come about, you know, right after he passed away. They found this cassette tape with, uh, ah, you know, that he had recorded something on, and they decided to add orchestra. And so, <laughs> you know, my dad and I had written on it. I was sitting there conducting the orchestra. My dad was very old at that point in his okay. life, uh, but he was in the control room. Mm-hmm. Uh, Al Schmidt was there. Yeah, you know, doing nice. the uh, behind the board, and and then, uh, you know. I was, okay, so I was taking the orchestra through the first kind of run through. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was hearing there there were issues, you know, intonation, there were timing right. issues, all sorts of stuff that we needed to work out, but I didn't want to say anything yet. But then, you know, all of a sudden, when I stopped them for a second, you know, Al comes on the, the intercom and he says, hey, Brent, your dad would like to say something to the orchestra. Okay. And, uh, <laughs> and I said, yeah, yeah, what is it, dad? And, uh, you know, he didn't have a lot of strength at that time. Okay. But he just kind of leaned into the mic and he said, intonation. <laughs> and all of a sudden I saw all the players just kind of, you know, because of the respect they had for him right. from decades of work. <laughs> oh, yeah, I worked, my, I worked with my dad yeah. and for him mm-hmm. for 32 years. Nice. And a lot of those guys in there had worked with him yeah, for absolutely. even longer than that. And so all of a sudden, the intonation just got, you know, 50% better. And uh, so, okay, great. Nice. That's one less thing I need to worry yeah, about. exactly. But anyway, awesome. so we, you know, we, we did all of our stuff together. Then uh, after he passed away, I continued. I, I made a, uh, an agreement with him starting way back in the 90s that we mm-hmm. were, we were going to record everything that he ever wrote. Or if there's something that mm-hmm. he had put down on tape and haven't been, hadn't been released, we were going to release it at some point, even right. if it didn't happen in his lifetime. Mm-hmm. And so since he's passed away, I've put out a series of albums. Okay. Uh, 
got noms three of them got nominated two nice. of them won grammys awesome amazingly they they got onto uh you know downbeat critics list and uh, right. did well on the radio and so I, i'm just so thankful for all that and and there's still stuff going on i still every once in a while i'll mm-hmm. you know be going through the 24 track tapes and i'll pick something out and we'll go and uh what do you call it? Bake it. We'll bake yes, the tape, yes. get it transferred to Pro Tools, and find <laughs> exactly. stuff, and and then we'll prepare it uh, nice. for release. And we, nice. we even have some stuff where, uh, what what would it be? It would be like he he would be on a session for Prince or somebody like mm-hmm. that, where we knew that you know Prince just needed one arrangement, but we had a three hour call for the musicians, so he knew he was going to have time to throw in one of his own okay. pieces. And but he didn't have the, the whole orchestra there; he just had what he needed for right, Prince. Right. And uh, so he would record part of it. And oh, now geez. I've got, you know, I've got a piece of my dad. I've got the score for right, orchestra. Right. And I see, okay, we've got uh, two out of the four clarinets. We've got the strings. Uh, we've got the horns. <laughs> but we don't have this and we don't have that. And now it'll be my job to wow. add those instruments in after we uh, transfer it to Pro that's Tools. Crazy. And um, yeah, man, <laughs> nice. I, I've done stuff. Nice. like. See, that's why... I love what you guys are all coming up with now mm. because uh, I was able to take, I found an old uh, tune that my dad had recorded in something like 1970. Okay. And it was, it was actually, it was based on like a ragtime tune that his mother had written for a song wow. contest in the 1930s. <laughs> it's like, you know, whatever, what, you know, whatever's going on on TV nowadays, that, right. that stuff used to be like on the radio and yeah. say, you know, send us your song or whatever, write out yeah, something yeah. and send it in and, and you could win. And, uh, you know, so he decided to record that in 1970, he did his own, you know, like right. a funkier arrangement nice. of it. And then it never got released. And I found it in 2010. And I said, Dad, we got to release this. And he said, well, yeah, you fix it up. And <laughs> I noticed everything was great on there. This great, you know, it was probably like John Guerin or somebody like that on mm-hmm. drums, maybe mm-hmm. Harvey Mason, yeah. uh, all these guys that my father used to, you know, love to work right, with. Right. And uh, everything was good, but the bass sound was just tubby because, you know, those old basses uh, yeah, from yeah. the, you know, the, the, <laughs> the bass sound, it took, took a while for the yeah. electric bass to kind of come in its own. And I feel that really happened in the hmm. kind of the late seventies. Right? right. And uh, <laughs> so it was just kind of a tubby sound. And, and, and I, I checked and we, we didn't have that much bleed through okay. from the mics, uh, you know, cause they're microphone on amp. Right. right, and, right. and then the, the drums are right next door, maybe a baffle mm-hmm. or something like yeah. that. And, uh, and so we, you know, we replaced the bass track. I mean, the bass, the bass player did a good job. He read right. every note. And he executed them perfectly, you know, with great right. feeling. And I thought, so all I have to do is just kind of mimic him. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, then, and so we did that. So I got to play in 2010 on a 1930s song that my dad recorded in 1970. And we're both the <laughs> same age playing together. Jeez. Oh, you know? <laughs> it's like, That's crazy. <laughs> so this was, this is so fun. The stuff nice. that, that we can do nowadays mm-hmm. that yeah. are, and, and I know something else great is around the corner. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. And scary too with AI, but, uh, yeah. Yeah. but w- whatever happens, you know, I'm not worried about it. Cause I'm, I'm in this like, you know, live instrument realm. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. uh, dealing with orchestral musicians uh, specifically, right. you know, people people. Now, have been, what are, what are, what have you been focusing on lately? Is it more arranging? Is it composing? What's is there anything you kind of stuck to or? Yeah, I mean, uh, um, 
you know, I like I said, I was I was touring for a long time. Right. I even like I quit the recording recording academy for a okay. while because I I wasn't able to vote. Um, okay. I wasn't there for you know all those cool movie screenings that yeah, you know yeah. get invited to <laughs> the the parties and stuff like that. So I, I was just uh, traveling a lot, but then you know I decided later on that okay, I, I love traveling. I'm good at it. Mm-hmm. I know how to make my space on an airplane economy class seat, and you know, it's, <laughs> even if there are two big people on both sides yeah. of me, I, I I know how to do that, and I'm good at traveling. Uh, but I don't need to do it as much, and so that's when I got into more of the. I mean, I was that was always kind of there, uh, you know, assisting my dad on the, right. on the projects, and then getting you know my own clients and stuff. Mm. Um, yeah, I think one of my first, you know, big clients was, uh, Vanessa Williams back in the early nineties. Okay. And then, uh, from there, you know, led on to other things. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, so I just decided, yeah, I, I like dealing in the orchestral realm, I, but I also like producing other stuff. I, mm-hmm. I, I'm not just a one genre guy, uh, you know, for right. me, um, creativity is really you know, exists separately from genre, right? right? If you've got a good idea, yeah, it's it's transferable. And as mm-hmm. a matter of fact, there'll be plenty of times when I will be working on, you know, let's say an R and B or a gospel project and doing mm-hmm. an, doing an arrangement, and I'll think about something that I wrote or maybe that my dad wrote for big band uh, yeah. twenty years ago, <laughs> right. a big big band jazz thing, right? And and I'll I'll get out the score and I'll study and say, you know, that that would be. Let me just rework this a little bit. This would be yeah. a great type of, you know, t- in other words, to get inspired, not to like copy right. myself or anything, right. but to to take inspiration from these things mm-hmm. and transfer them. So basically, what what I've been doing now with you know with the help of uh, all you guys is mm-hmm. kind of living at the intersection of uh, art science and math okay <laughs> and 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 that's a you know for me that's that's a, a sweet spot to be in because right. there's you know there's still the emotional content there mm-hmm. from the art and, uh, and and but then there's the precision that comes from uh, taking you know a scientific approach to things right and th- you know the one thing that I cannot do is calculate mic angles the how you guys do that <laughs> especially when you know you've got a player that's moving around a yeah. little bit and stuff like that that's uh, entirely you know my yeah my focus has always been to leave the engineer Right. to his domain i don't <laughs> yeah. tell any engineer ever you know can you get this kind of mic right for right. that <laughs> as far as i'm concerned that's his decision and i know i know there are lots of guys that do that there are lots yeah. of lots of writers lots of producers that mm-hmm. you know they know right. how they want you know the guitar signal yes you know how they want the gain structure mm-hmm. and everything and right. but but my whole thing is no i mean what do you think? I, right. I, I asked the engineer, what do you think? This is the sound that I'm going for. And I'll, you know, I'll give them mm-hmm. examples. I, you know, yeah, I got exactly. into that. Uh, exactly. What was it? I was doing some, uh, I did a project for, uh, it was a great album Questlove did with Elvis Costello. Mm-hmm. Que- uh, so it was Elvis Costello and the Roots. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, while I was putting together the string arrangements, actually full orchestra arrangements mm-hmm. for them, uh, he would give me some notes. You know, he would say, think... And then he would mention a couple of song titles. Right. And uh, that was, you know, since then I've been, I've been kind of doing that. You know, I'll, I'll go mm-hmm. and I'll find a title or, or, or I'll hear an effect. It's like, mm-hmm. what is that? 
right, and I'll right. play it for somebody. And I say, oh yeah, it's this or that plugin. Right, right. So the, the only thing that I really miss is taking the 24 track tape, turning it upside down and playing it backwards so we can reverse print the reverb. Now right. it's just a button. There's it's no, just a button. It's not sexy anymore, you know? It doesn't uh, take 10 minutes to do anymore. Yeah. So, you know, and all that thing where you said, you know, we're, we're you, yeah. you like find just that, that perfect editing spot yep, and then yep. cut the tape and everything. Exactly. So, that's awesome. you know, that's, that's, uh, yeah, I do, I do kind of miss dealing with that. Right. You know, on the other hand, I've got a tape of, some stuff that my dad recorded in the 70s it's got a huge warble on it yeah and i think the the technology is almost there so that we can yeah eliminate. there is there is plugins i've now. heard yes yeah i'm i um, i i and i've heard some stuff and uh, i i don't know i guess it's all a question of degrees right it's right. like uh you know people people started replacing live orchestral instruments with virtual orchestras mm you know, a while back, 20 years ago. And right. whatever those hot sounds were that they were yeah. using back then, this, yeah. those have since been replaced. Well, if, if they were that great, you know, because, <laughs> I mean, you know, the, the whatever, a, 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 an oboe player that mm -hmm. I may hire or a violinist, they're using the same violin that they've had for, you know, 15, 20, 30 right. years. Right. It's still there. And yet, you know, all these virtual sounds, they mm -hmm. keep on supposedly getting better and, <laughs> right, and they do right. okay maybe they get closer and a little bit and yeah and you know what virtual virtual orchestras are great there mm -hmm. are definitely uses man there was one time where we had you know trying to record something my dad had written uh mm -hmm. in the 70s or 80s uh doing it after he passed away and there was a there was a, a spot on the score for bass marimba okay which is a gigantic you know if you guys yeah, want to google huge. how yeah. to microphone uh, you know how to place the microphone <laughs> right. for a bass marimba which is a gigantic heavy cumbersome yeah. instrument okay so we picked a virtual bass marimba right you know, so it, they have their it uses. Took five minutes instead of three yeah, hours. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and the expense and the yeah. you know the cartage and all that mm. stuff. But on the other hand, I just had a chance to overdub a lot of symphonic percussion yeah. on the you know on the date that you and I were on recently, right, right. and um, that was a that was a blast being able, and it was mm -hmm. made even sweeter. In uh, that, I noticed that uh, you know uh, some of the gear that that uh, that came from the rental company, the percussion mm -hmm. equipment, uh, some of the, the the gear cases had the name of my old drum teacher, Joe Picaro, father <laughs> nice. of you know nice. Jeff and Steve yeah, yeah. and and, and you know all the Picaro brothers. Right. Uh, yeah, he you know I used to go as a kid and take drum lessons from Joe Picaro. Nice. And as a barter, every once in a while, my dad would go teach mm -hmm. Steve during that right, same hour. Right. So we just both, my dad and I, would go over to Joe's house, and yeah. I'd take from Joe, take a lesson from Joe, and my dad would give a lesson <laughs> to Steve. That's awesome. And, uh, That's and awesome. so it was, it was great. Now, he, he passed away a, a few years ago at mm. 90. Good for him, nice. you know? But uh, hmm. Uh, his his gear is still still being yeah, used. It's, it's still being it's put to use. Right, and that's you know that's a beautiful thing, right? I've 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 got my my dad's grand piano that I'll probably right. uh, want to find a good home for at some mm -hmm. point because I can use it to write on, but I'm not a pianist. Yeah, and it deserves yeah. you know it deserves to it deserves, be yeah exactly. in, in the in exactly. the home of a fine pianist exactly. at, at some point one right. day. So one of the things I like to talk about a lot on the podcast is kind of how to inspire 
artists in the studio. Okay. And as an arranger, I feel like you have a different perspective on that because when you're doing arrangements, it's almost like you're you're working with the producer and not necessarily the artist half the time. Yeah. Well, and know? sometimes I am the producer too. Exactly. Yeah. And so, so it's like, you know, I'm working with an artist and I'm trying to mm-hmm. trying to get the best uh, you know, the best possible version right. of their creative right. vision. But it's right? interesting because, you know, obviously there's all the session players there that are oh yeah, the the players, the performers, but it's it's a weird dynamic because it's not like you're trying to inspire them, but you sort of are. <laughs> but it's like, how do you well, how, how he, do you find that balance of how to get great performances out of session musicians so that you know right. the, the producers and songwriters well, okay. are? So that's a two part question. Yeah, real quickly, if you wanna if you wanna keep your musicians inspired, mm-hmm. write idiomatically for their instrument. Okay? okay, that's a really hard, especially you know when I take a virtual. arrangement and i need to orchestrate it for real instruments Mm -hmm. i need to make adjustments every once in a while or i may need to parse things out to various other instruments there was actually a a line that i came up with the other day that uh it was a little too low for Mm -hmm. a standard clarinet a little too high for bass clarinet but then i remembered there's also the alto clarinet is an instrument that a lot of people don't know about too much or use very much and it it worked perfectly in that case so um so you know if you yeah if you want to inspire your musicians give them a part that lays well on their instrument right right? you got to remember that wind players need to breathe And everybody thinks that well, what string players, yeah, and, and you know, bass, bass players and drummers, keyboardists, guitarists, we're used yeah. to kind of just playing all the time, right? You know, right. I, I can, I mean, I used to do these crazy long gigs. You know, we'd, mm-hmm. we'd play for our sets would be like two and a half hours. You know, right, it's some right. like I used to do a lot of these high end private parties in Bel Air mm-hmm, or Beverly mm-hmm. Hills, and. Uh, you know, when I was in college, and uh, yeah, we you know we do a seven hour gig, and that was just kind of oh, like nonstop. And you know, make sure you got some, make sure you have a, you know drink and a little snack right. on the stage. So you can keep going, <laughs> whatever. That's fine. So we're all used to that, right. but but you know, wind, wind players need to breathe, right? And not just that, but even even string players, you know, orchestral string players. You think mm. well, they can. They can play as much as they want. And they can, you know, they don't. They can breathe anytime they need right. to, right? But they need to put their instrument down for a yes. minute every once in a while. You know, they, right. they can't just like stay like right. this or like this. <laughs> they can't just yeah. stay in that position. So, exactly. so you know, I try and work all those things into it. So that's to inspire the musicians and right. make sure that they're going to be happy being on mm-hmm. your date. To inspire the artist. That's you know, I yeah, I won't get into like the, the whole psychological like i i I try and i try and get other people to help me help me with this but i i focus on creative vision what's their creative vision how Mm -hmm. have they explained it to me how do i then put what i do into that and sort of meld our two creative visions to become one that can help them and and you know especially in the case of independent artists there or or even sometimes with guys who are have been around a while Mm -hmm. but they still have that uh, the same type of lifelong learner mentality that right. I have. They know that I'm always interested in finding out about something new mm-hmm. and figuring out, you know, oh, why did I not know that exists? Or, right. you know, how did how did that terminology escape my vocabulary <laughs> all these right. years? You know, so so when you when you want to inspire an artist, I would say 
Yeah, you need to come in there with uh, contingency plans, right? Okay. We need to we need to be able to adjust things if mm-hmm. uh, they're they're not feeling it right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then, yeah, there 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 is a pr- a process that goes on mm-hmm. that ultimately ends in abandonment, right? When you when you send your final mastered uh, track or mm-hmm. album to the record company or, or you know, mm-hmm. to your own record company for, for an independent release, that's the process of abandonment, right? We're saying at this point, well, I could go and I, I could tweak this for years, yeah. you know, <laughs> after I'm done writing an arrangement, the mm-hmm. ideas don't stop, right. you know, I, I'll, I'll hear it on the radio or something, <laughs> or I'll hear it in a department store and, and then a new idea will pop into my head. And, you know, I, I try not to be like, right. like uh, I, I know there are some guys, actually, I've had some engineers tell me, oh, man, if, if only I had that mix to do over again. Right. And I'm like, give it up. Yeah. Because you know what? That was a great mix. And I mm-hmm. know you could keep on tweaking things forever. Right. You right. could, you could, and, and I know p- people who are sort of uh, this great old, uh, line in the liner notes on an old edgar winter Mm -hmm. uh, lp i have it says recorded at leisure (laughs) i love that you know if you've got if you've got a good budget (laughs) yeah uh and and you can afford to do that and you know like okay finish the mix Mm -hmm. put it aside for a week live you know just get away from it and then and then get back and then live with it for another couple days yeah sometimes you have that opportunity sometimes you don't right you know uh but 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 i mean the thing is it's you have to realize that you are going to be abandoning this at some point and that's not a bad thing right you know that's not a bad thing it's like it's like it's like when you trade in your car yeah, you know, you're you're gonna <laughs> it's still a good car, you're, but <laughs> you're gonna be moving on to something else. Right, but right. but it, it and it's time to let this stand. Mm-hmm. That's what Picasso did. Yeah. You know, that's what uh, Stravinsky did. You know, that, that's what everybody. Mm-hmm. Did. That's what the Beatles did. You know, of course, they finally decided. Okay, I'm ready to let this out to right. the public. The one right. the one guy that I know. Uh, I, you know, I worked on and off for Prince for 25 years, my mm-hmm. father and I, and the way that worked out, we were the longest running um, collaborators, right. let's say, for, for Prince. Mm-hmm. And, and that's because we, it was all like long distance thing. You know, if okay. you're working in close quarters with people, yeah. there's there's bound to be a rub after a while, you know? But it was all, right. you know, Prince would send out the music, uh, we would add orchestra, and then we'd send it back. And right. every once in a while, there was a phone conversation. I met him in person because mm-hmm. uh, dad and I wrote the orchestral arrangement for um, the, uh, the opening, um, he did a medley with Beyonce for the opening of the 2004 Grammy Awards telecast. Okay. And so I I wrote that uh, with my, with my dad and mm-hmm. uh, and and then uh, I played percussion in the orchestra. So I met him that one time and right. and that was it. And um, and so you know that was uh, that was a case where it really worked out to have a long distance relationship. And and right. he would make decisions. You know, we recorded something for Prince. Like there was one track I remember we did Crystal Ball in 1986. Mm-hmm. He didn't release it till 1989, because uh, 1999, 13 years oh, later, because he was waiting 
for the right point, the right other songs to match them uh, up okay. with. Wow. And I don't know if there are other artists that uh, that yeah. have thought this way, but he really took his time with things. Mm, but mm-hmm. uh, but for most of the rest of us, right. <laughs> we come to a conclusion, and that's what I that's what I really like to help people with mm-hmm. is to finish their project because a right. lot of people get stuck. Right. And I've been called in, I've been called in in times where you know, this is it's it's kind of we're at an impasse here we know mm. we don't know where to go right. to complete it can you please help us and right. the answer is absolutely yes well how much i mean how much latitude do you have in arrangements you know obviously there's a lot of people now writing with virtual instruments and you know like you said part of your job is just kind of re you know arranging things so that they can actually physically be played on those instruments but yeah how much latitude do you typically have when working with producers and artists? And it, it's different each time, right. you know. They and and I tell artists this when I'm working with them. I I, I tell them, look, uh, I have had everything from when somebody sends me a track, whether I'm arranging, producing, or whatever. They they will send me their track, and they will and they will give me explicit instructions. I'm hearing this at the bridge. Right. I would like to have you know multiple synth tracks on the out uh you know on the outro right. uh, i don't need orchestra here or i whatever mm-hmm. you know whatever you were thinking about doing with um you know with your your instruments i would like to have something on trumpet here you know there could be very explicit right, instructions right. like that or the complete opposite of that which mm-hmm. i get plenty of time which is just do your thing I'm hiring okay. you because I've heard what you do and I love it. Right. And I just want you to do your thing, uh, you know, mm. and then there, there's all levels in so between. So you don't get it. any demos or anything in that case or how does that work? I mean, I, I yeah, I mean, in the case of uh, artists who read music and write music, then mm. it, it may be they'll send me a PDF of a chart or a picture of a handwritten chart that they <laughs> right. that they scribble. You know, I was right. I was pencil on score paper mm-hmm. for thirty years. <laughs> I, I think at one point, what was it in twenty twelve? Somebody, uh, a, a music copyist that did, you know did a lot right, of work right. on on film and TV with orchestras. He. He told me on the phone one day, he said, Brent, you know, it's pretty much just you and John Williams that are still using pencil on paper. (laughs) So I made a point at that year, I learned uh, computer music notation and I've been uh, dealing with it for better and for worse (laughs) uh, since then. Yeah, but uh, but so so that, you know, it can be that or yes, they'll send me a track. Mm. And, you know, then there's the whole thing about demoitis, you know, yes. demoitis can be a Absolutely. big deal, especially for the record company. Oh, yeah. Uh, and so you got to you got to get used to the idea that it's going to sound different. Now, can you live with that? Does it grow on you? Right. Do you at because at, actually in an interview one time, Questlove said of the project that I did for him, mm-hmm. he said that was the first time when he heard the orchestral editions that I did, mm-hmm. that was the first time that he and the guys had not been in charge of every little drop, wow. every nuance, right. you know, wherever they were going to place the mics, everything, every track, the blend, the panning. Hmm. That was the first time that he had not done anything. Right. Relinquished with control. With this part. Of it, yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. Huh. That's a great way to put it. He <laughs> relinquished control of this element to mm-hmm. me. 
and then I send it back. I send control back to him right. uh, to you know for the final mixing and mastering. But uh, but he said when he was listening to the raw orchestral tracks before they started to do their mix, mm-hmm. at that point he was able to become a fan of the music again. Nice because you know. It wasn't his baby anymore right, that he had right. been living with day in and day out. Yeah. Now this was somebody, something else that somebody had done. That's cool. And 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 so he could become a fan of the music. Right. And 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 so I I think that's a great thing to think about when you are working with other people. Is or, or even if you're just hiring a sax player or a guitarist to come in and, and mm-hmm. put down a solo, it's like let me look at this through a fan's ears now. Right. How does this strike me? Yeah. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And can you share an example of a pro- of a project where your arrangement significantly evolved based on the producer artist feedback? Like you had to change yeah. a lot of stuff. Yeah. I or? mean, well, okay. Let me let me actually go way back. A, a great example I have uh, that you know my dad told me about. We he came home from a session one day, and I was oh, I was probably like. 12 years old or something mm-hmm. he said yeah i was just doing a was just doing a string date for the jackson five mm. and uh or maybe it was the jacksons by then i don't know yeah. but anyway <laughs> you know who i'm talking about yeah so he, he said i was just doing a string arrangement for them and they liked one of my violin lines so much that they had their guitarist learn it and huh. play it nice. as as part of the rhythm section right, right. arrangement huh. And uh, so I thought, I thought that was great. And, and so a, a, a place where that has happened to me, I guess, would be, um, you know, in the, in the alterations that we'll make in the studio. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I've had, I've had uh, artists listen to something and then, you know, like maybe you'll, you'll hit them with... Uh, an unusual voicing of some kind. Right. And then at first... It's, it strikes them, but maybe I've got something that uh, is, is, you know, like a, I hate to use the word non-chord tone. Let's say mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a tension that I've created. Right, and that right. tension eventually needs to resolve. And, and one of the mm-hmm. things that I do also as, a, as, a, as a, a, one of the very few users of counterpoint, mm-hmm. which was a great musical technique that you just don't see a lot anymore, right. is, is I can have simultaneous creation of tension in one part and release of tension in another part. And for me, that helps propel Hmm. music forward. Hmm. So there would be times when they would listen to that tension and and they were getting ready to complain, but then it would release. Right. And then they were like, oh yeah, okay. That brings out the emotion more. (laughs) Right. And and so there have been times like that with with artists where we'd Mm -hmm. be in the studio together and they would, uh, you know, they would uh, accept that. And, and then maybe there would be a couple of others that they, they wouldn't accept, right. you know? And so then you change it and you rewrite it. And that's what I'm talking about, contingency planning. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's not, and, and it's not just contingency planning for how you're going to comport yourself in the studio. Mm-hmm. It's also contingency planning for, you know, when the bassist calls you from 30 miles away and he said, man, I just had a car accident. I'm okay, but (laughs) I got to deal with this here. I think you better replace me. (laughs) 
<laughs> and then you got to do it. I mean, you pick, uh, up, pick up your bass and sit in the chair. <laughs> I, I, I've had to do that actually. <laughs> really? Yeah, Jeez. you know, and, and I've had to do that on gigs where all of a sudden oh, I find myself instead of standing in front of the the big band and and uh, right. conducting and just focusing on that, I'm also playing bass. Right. And then of course, you know, you, you have to like consume about twenty five hundred calories that day. It's a, it's a lot of work, yeah. you know, thinking yeah. about all that stuff, thinking about right. the tones, listening to. And, and again, it's another reason why I rely on engineers mm -hmm. to tell me what are you hearing at this point and what do you feel? Because right. I'm so focused on notes, pitches, rhythms, intonation, mm -hmm. uh, inflection, delivery, execution, right. feeling, all that stuff Absolutely. that I forget about, you know, is that a clean signal? Right, right. <laughs> that's, balance, I, that's a fundamental right. yeah. thing, right, that I should be paying attention to, but I'm sorry, I'm going to hand that off to the engineer. Right. Is the signal clean? Are we getting, you know, I will play something for, for engineers every once in a while, and they say, oh, yeah, that sounds like a, a Neve, and then he'll <laughs> rattle off a right, bunch of numbers, right. this type of console. Yeah. And uh, and I'm like, you can tell that we tracked on this type <laughs> of console. I, and I I don't know whether that would... Jeez. But uh, on the other hand, I, 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 won't, I wouldn't put it past somebody because I've gotten to the point in my life mm -hmm. where I've developed my ears so I can hear... I can hear a lot of stuff that, you know, I often say hearing right. is the least developed sense that we yeah. have, right? And I use the example, you walk into a restaurant, you smell, there's mm -hmm. steak, barbecued steak cooking, right. right? And then you, you know, you sit down and you, you know, when you, when you cut into that steak, and I'm sorry, okay, for any vegans out there, when you <laughs> chop up that salad mm -hmm. and you crunch on that kale, you you know you've got that sense, that tactile sensory. Right. This is kale that I, before you even taste it, you know. But then you recognize mm -hmm. the taste, right? Yeah. And and then uh, you know all that other stuff is going on. But can you recognize that the music is playing right now? Is that you know the drum beat is in four four, mm -hmm. and the song is in B flat, and you know the vocalist is currently singing a D. I hear a, a sax playing an F. The keyboard is playing a B flat major nine, right. and it's this voicing you know of D F mm -hmm. A C from the bottom up, which is you know standard, pretty standard right. voicing, easy to recognize. So can you recognize all that stuff? Are yeah. you are you trained, yeah. you know, to be able to hear these things? Because I can. Well, it's the same thing with engineering too. It's like you train your ear to be able to pinpoint frequencies or hear compression or hear different types of distortion. Even like there's some distortion that so you, you can hear a type of distortion and know exactly where to look to fix it. You know, it's where all is about it coming from. It's all about training your ear. It's just mm -hmm. exactly the same thing, you know? Yeah. It's and crazy. that, that is, uh, so that's a gift. And, and if you can develop that, mm -hmm. then you are completely ahead of the curve. Right. Yeah. Right. I, I had an opportunity about a year ago where, you know, a, a pops orchestra called me and they said, well, we found this great old arrangement your dad did for this movie that was released in 1967. And we'd like to get the score in parts so we could perform it. Hmm. And I was very sorry to tell him, I said, you know, out of the 4,000 score pages that I've got here of my dad's and all these parts and stuff right. that we do have for people to be able to rent or buy, uh, and, and my own stuff too, that mm -hmm. I'm sorry to say, I didn't even know this song existed because it was just one of those things where he probably handed in the score, he didn't right. make a copy, and it, yeah. was, it was lost. But we brought it back. I told him, look, if you get me 
a good recording of this, and I'm talking like a really solid WAV file, mm-hmm. high resolution WAV file. Give me the LP2, because right. you never know what you can get from listening to that. I'll, I'll burn a CD right. of it as well, and I'll go out into the car and I'll listen in the back seat and mm-hmm. see what else I can hear. Yeah, yeah. You know, I do that with mixes. Boy, the back seat of the car. <laughs> It's fantastic. <laughs> you, you you find stuff. You know. Right. I, you know. That's just one spot. I'm sure everybody yeah, yeah. has their own. Of course. But uh, but so I I I lived with that for three months, and I learned every single note on there. Now it mm-hmm. helped that I knew my dad's style, right. and I knew right. what you know. This sounds like something that my dad would do. This does not seem right, likely. Right. So let's exactly. say what's and, and you know you extrapolate things, right? You you hear a punch. There's a punch where the whole orchestra is yeah. playing, but one of the clarinets and one of the trombones is early. Right, and so you okay. So that guy's that guy's playing a C sharp. This guy's got an F. Mm-hmm. So I can extrapolate from that that this guy must be second trombone, and then the rest of the chord, which I had right. already figured out, you stack it that way, you know. And right, then the, the, right. the clarinet note that I heard that sounds like first clarinet, and then the other guy, the, mm-hmm. the other clarinets go mm-hmm. beneath him, <laughs> and and you just and you figure out all parts. that stuff, and Jeez. and you know that's and and that that can have. That can. Right. I'm. I'm sure there are engineers that yeah. are being asked to look. We've got this cassette tape. Yeah. But we just recently found the 24 track. Can you replicate the mix? Right. We love the mix that on this cassette yeah. tape. Mm-hmm. And here's the 24 track. Go bake it yeah. and figure out what they did. Yeah. Exactly. And, That's uh, a common thing. And even with like, you know, like technicians. Like I've heard of technicians like. Hey, we have this old vintage console, and there's only ten of them ever made. There's no schematics. <laughs> Can you write the schematics? And they'll literally, oh man, write the schematics for the console just and by that's looking like, at it and ch- testing everything. And it's, you know, that, it's that's crazy. actually rocket surgery. <laughs> yes, you know, <laughs> yes, that that exactly. is right there, man. Exactly. So, are there any uh, are there any misconceptions about the role of a orchestral? orchestral arranger that you'd like to address oh always yes <laughs> well no i mean you know it's it's so it's so great to to work uh, you know on, on those projects where people have experience with that mm-hmm. and so they they kind of like know how the whole game works but I, yeah i've done you know i've done situations where this guy you know was adamant about having french horns be up super high because it sounded great on his french horn synth Mm, patch right (laughs) and and this is like at the top of their range and these guys are you know turning red in their face and and and, and we actually we have to stop to give them a chance to take (laughs) a breath right you know because you know you don't need to take a breath while you're playing the synthesizer french horn patch (laughs) exactly um and 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 so you know we got it all done and the french horn players by the end they were like man thank you i got a great workout today and (laughs) it almost felt like mid-range for me by the end there i didn't feel like we were high range anymore so um so you know there there are there are things like kind of learning Mm. uh things that go on and as long as i'm dealing with a lifelong learner type of mentality then i can then i can you know i'm happy to help people understand how these things work and explain Mm. the whole process and and try and make it as easy as possible and in 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 the case where we get somebody that is just really busy and they don't have time for all this and they just here's what i want make it happen Mm. then of course you know i'll do what i can Mm. to make that work and and the thing that i i think i really have after all these years 
which uh, you know is, is building up my not only my harmonic melodic vocabulary but also mm -hmm. my orchestrational vocabulary, knowing about a lot of these instruments right. that that people are just not using that much, especially right, right. unusual woodwind and brass instruments. Mm -hmm. um, those can come in really handy in a case where something doesn't quite work on one of the other standard right, instruments. Right. And, and, that, and that can help you fulfill the artist's creative vision mm -hmm. without having to make them, you know, worry about how you achieve that. Right, right. And so, exactly. yeah, so it's, you know, it's, it's, there are all levels that mm -hmm. happen. Uh, and yeah, there are some time I have to kind of, you know, step in and, and sort of executive produce a project mm -hmm. because I'm, I'm dealing with an, uh, you know, incredibly intelligent and talented independent artists and this is their first album right and they don't know you know the they, and they yeah. and they need help and uh, and mm -hmm. I, i'm happy to give that because if they're if they're in this as a, a partnership and they're and right. they're interested in in uh, bettering themselves then it's going to be educational for all of us because right. you know for me it helps me it's like how many different ways can i explain things when i used to do a lot of touring i learned how to kind of uh you know simplify Mm -hmm. The way that I would communicate with people, right. and, and I, you know, I like to th like to think of myself as having a pretty large vocabulary. Uh, you know, out of the five hundred thousand words of the English language, mm -hmm. most of us get by with two or three thousand. Right. You know, uh, <laughs> but uh, but there are a lot of great words that that we can use out here that we're not. And you know, it's not mm -hmm. to be abstruse or vituperous. It's just that maybe that's the right word for the right. situation. You know, and <laughs> maybe you have to go and look up that word and to right. find out what it means. But but it it makes sense at that point. But yes. when you're traveling, you're dealing with people who are. Uh, you know, speaking English as a second or third or fourth language, mm -hmm. then you've got to figure out a way to communicate right. on a most basic level with them. And it's the mm -hmm. same thing. It's the same thing if, I, if I'm dealing with an artist who has trained completely by ear mm -hmm. and I cannot use music terminology, right. uh, we have to figure out a way to be able to communicate. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and, you know, this is, this is part of the art section yeah right exactly. and it's actually it's a little bit of art and it's a little bit of science right mm -hmm. and part of it is there is a little bit of psychology that that goes into it there but you're, you're trying to think how okay the description i'm getting from this person how can i translate that mm -hmm. into the language of music yeah and uh Absolutely. And, and then you know how can we get it done with the gear that we have right right, right. exactly so yeah exactly I just want to take a quick break and tell you about my free snare guide. In it, I go over all my techniques, from drum choices, microphone placement, tuning, even mixing techniques. Check it out now at brandondecora.com slash huge snare. And now, back to the show. So is there any uh, current or recent projects that you can talk about that you want to share? Well, this, yeah, this project that we just did, uh, that, that you and I mm -hmm. just worked on, we can't, you know, we can't, of course, talk about the artists or anything, but it was a large orchestra project. Yeah. And um, I hope it will be released within the next year. Yeah. And uh, it, you know, it's, it, this stuff never gets old. Standing in front of an orchestra right. never gets old for me. It's always <laughs> such a joy. And to, to put these things together and to mm -hmm. see, and, and yes, you've got to have, a working relationship with, in this case, 56 other people. Right. To, you know, each one of them has their own 
soul and emotion mm-hmm. and uh, and and you know a- agenda that they're going to bring to this, right. and it's a question of being able to explain clearly what it is you're looking for. Yeah, and and then you know, in 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 this case, uh, working with the producer and helping the producer. Um, you know, grab onto his creative vision in the right. best way possible. So, uh, right. but uh, yeah, and and so so these type of projects are are always great. Um, I, I can I can tell you about another one that it goes back a little bit, mm-hmm. uh, not too far. Um, what was it? Uh, 2010. I got a, a call from uh, D'Angelo about doing a song for him. Now, mm-hmm. this was that album that he took 14 years or 15 years to make, <laughs> and so he definitely was. You know. That was definitely recorded at leisure, right? <laughs> um, yeah, but uh, no, but I mean, it was a creative process. You know, they, I, I know he had his reasons for doing what mm-hmm. he did, right? And so he contacted me in 2010. He sent me this song. I said, I, I, I love it. You know, I really love it. Mm-hmm. That was the name of the song. Really love. Okay. <laughs> and uh, and and he said, Yeah, I want you to, I want you to add orchestra onto this. Mm-hmm. And then you know, we finally got a go-ahead from uh, the uh, the record company in mm-hmm. 2012. That was two years later. Okay. <laughs> and then, you know, we, yeah, we had uh, a talk about it and what, what was going to happen. And I recorded it. And, uh, you know, he, he had mentioned coming to the session. Right. But just like with Prince all those years earlier, you know, Prince was supposed to make it to our first recording session that we did for him. Okay. Uh, it, was, uh, it was a project, it was called the Marx Brothers Project. But what it really was, it was a code name for the, uh, the, the album Parade. Okay. Which, you know, sold 7 million copies in, mm-hmm. uh, I think it was 1986 or 1987. But he was supposed to make it to that first orchestral date, right. something in his schedule precluded him from being oh, there. And then on the phone, a couple of days later, he said, you know what, if I had been there, things might've gone down differently. I'm not saying that that's good or bad. Right. I'm just saying it might've been different, but I'm so happy with the result nice. that I will never attend a Fisher recording <laughs> session. And that's how we were able to work with him for 25 that's years. Crazy. <laughs> because he nice. was never there. He sent it in, we sent the, we added orchestra and we right. sent it back. And he you know- He wanted we, to be uninvolved. He, he wanted that's to be crazy. out of the picture for that. And he was notorious for being hands-on. Yeah, I'm surprised. And, yeah. uh, and D'Angelo he was that way too. He would even kick the engineers out and punch himself in while doing guitar solos. Yes. Like, it's crazy, yeah. And so, and so you know, <laughs> D'Angelo was planning on being there, but I don't know, maybe in deference or out of respect for Prince, he sort of did the same thing. He didn't huh. show up. Right. He was extremely happy with nice. the with the result that I got from as a matter of fact I was surprised I had recorded an orchestral prelude mm-hmm. so the first 35 seconds of the song are me and my orchestra before nice. even one of his tracks comes in and nice. I was so gratified he kept it nice and he he rolled with it and uh, and I have I, I tell you I've gotten so many comments since then because then they, they finally released it in 2014, I think, or 2015, okay. it got nominated for a Grammy, three mm-hmm. Grammys, nice. right? And and it won two of them in 2016. Nice. And I can't tell you how many people have sent me little messages on social media right. saying, man, I, I got to tell you, the uh, that song got mm-hmm. me through the toughest time of my life. Right. And I still look back on that song and, and, nice. and you know, and they yeah. thank me for what I have done. Nice. And it makes you think, you know, this is 
my contribution to civilization. Yeah. If I can make, you know, I'm not inventing something that is going to maybe, well, maybe this is going to make your life easier, yeah. you know, but, I, but I'm not in, inventing a, you know, a, right, a, right. A, a new type of cell phone or something yeah. like that <laughs> that's going to revolutionize, uh, you know, the way we communicate. But mm. I, I'm, I'm hopefully I'm helping people in this way. Mm. And uh, and so that was that was great to be uh, a part nice. of that process. Nice. But uh, but I, I want to um, yeah. But if if you don't have any other further questions, I want to leave you with a story. I have well, I like okay, to, yeah. I like to wrap up the same every podcast with the same kind of set of questions. Okay. Um, well, but then, if you want to tell the story now, we can do yeah. that, and then we can yeah. Let's that. let's do yeah. that because okay. uh, because uh, I remember talking with you about this at a at a music industry party, uh-huh. and uh, I think your your listeners will enjoy yeah, uh, yeah. enjoy hearing about it. So we are at a session for uh, the artist Ronnie Martin. Mm-hmm. It was probably in the 90s and maybe late 90s. And there was a new technology that we were working with. This mm-hmm. was about the time that, you know, 24-track tapes were starting to be phased out. Okay. And then they, there was like 48-track digital tape after right. that. And then yeah. there were some other types of tapes that came along. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to mention any names. <laughs> uh, I want to protect the guilty. <laughs> and uh, what happened at this point was we had these new machines, mm-hmm. which could uh, you know provide us with uh, eight tracks of recording at a time. So right. they had four of them sort of synced together. So right. we could get 32 tracks doing a full orchestra session. Everything is going great. My dad is out there conducting. I'm in the control room. I've handpicked the orchestra, mm-hmm. you know, to some, some of my favorite players, and everything is going great. And all of a sudden, we notice that there's no playback anymore. The orchid, <laughs> we still hear the orchestra, but we, we right. don't hear the track anymore. <laughs> What's going on? And I walk over to the, the machinery and I look, and there's this message on the display that says, spontaneous abort. <laughs> and I thought to myself, okay, like there are so many questions. Like, are you kidding me? First of all, who's the coder right. that knew that about this decided. issue and actually decided this is what we're going to call this <laughs> issue right here, spontaneous abort? Oh, jeez. And, um, and, and, and so, yeah, the machine stopped. And we were at the end of the session. You know, we were almost getting into overtime. Right, right. And so, we, you know, everybody was kind of like sweating. We gave the players, a, you know, a little break while they got in there and, mm-hmm. and figured out what to do with those machines and Jeez. got them back. And, and, and they got them back into shape. And we, you know, it was, it was like a three-minute song. And we were in the last four minutes of the session. Jeez. We got a beautiful take and we finished. Right. But Jeez. I will never <laughs> forget that term. I've never... Ever seen it since then? Nice. Spontaneous <laughs> abort. Thank you. It's like, oh, geez, that's awesome. there you go. <laughs> right, that's awesome. <laughs> awesome. Uh, so yeah, as I mentioned, I, I like to wrap up with the same few questions for everyone. Um, the first one, which I probably already know the answer to, based on what you're talking about, um, who is your most influential teacher? Oh well. Yeah, I mean that. Yeah, I would. I would say the fact that I lived with my father, you know, for all those years, right. uh, and, and worked with him, uh, you know, forty. My father was part of forty-seven. The first forty-seven years of my life. Right. right. So uh, he was a huge influence. On the other hand, mm-hmm. 
He was not, no, he was definitely not my only influence. Of course. There yeah. were, uh, there were all sorts of people. And I, and I, you know, I, I, I did this, uh, I, I did, we, we did a great, uh, what is it? Um, you know, like an electronic press kit for an album I released mm -hmm. in uh, 2021. Okay. It was a big band version that I did of Mazorsky's Pictures at an Exhibition. So originally mm -hmm. written for piano in the 1870s. Uh, mm. orchestrated for a full orchestra by Ravel in the, what is it, 1920s or something mm. like that. And and then now here we are a century later and I'm taking this material and putting it into a big band aesthetic, but there were also other elements. It wasn't just right. like swing jazz. I don't, you know, I don't use big band for like typical big band sounds. Mm. We've got everything going on there from, uh, you know, funk and rock and right. uh, all, all manner of, you know, blues and, mm -hmm. and uh, all styles. I like to blend genres right. as much as I possibly can. Uh, and, and so in this, uh, you know, electronic press kit, I was, I was talking about my influences. Mm -hmm. And uh, at least in that regard, you know, besides Claire Fisher, there was Bach. You know, right. I'm a huge fan of Bach, and mm -hmm. uh, and again, that's counterpoint. A lot of people don't write music that way. Right. But imagine going back, and that guy, he was an improviser, just like jazz players today or, yeah, or guitar yeah. soloists. Huh. You know, he would take a melody and improvise a four, five, six part fugue out of that. Right. And that that's just an amazing, amazing uh, uh, talent that hmm. I think even now even with all the acclaim he has gotten over the centuries, right. he's kind of overlooked. Uh, mm. But then there's, you know, Stevie Wonder, mm -hmm. Alan Holdsworth, right. um, you know, Duke Ellington, Billy Strayhorn, mm -hmm. uh, Bartok, right. the uh, early 20th century orchestral composer. Mm. Amazing stuff that nice. these guys all came up with that, that has influenced me you know right. over the years eddie van halen you know yeah. which he was uh, he was inspired by alan holdsworth mm -hmm. so there's that whole kind of continuum right, right. um that uh, that you know i i look at mm -hmm. and then uh you know there are a whole host of newer artists that are coming on the scene now and i'm just you know i'm learning about stuff Right. All the time. And I, yeah, I like to take inspiration from anywhere. I can be working on, you know, I can be working on a heavy metal tune and mm -hmm. I will take inspiration from, you know, maybe a, a country tune. Right, right. Because it's just something that there was something about the, 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 the sonic architecture there right. that really spoke to me. Mm -hmm. And I can fit it into this other genre. So exactly. yeah, I would say those are some of my other influences. Nice, yeah. nice. Um, the next question, I'm not sure if it really applies, but you know, the the question is, what is your favorite reference track if you're an engineer going to a new studio to learn <laughs> oh. the room? However, like in your case, what would you put on to be inspired? Are you talking about to just to gain inspiration to go into the room? Yeah, I mean... Because that comes from within. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, 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 to tell you the truth, when I'm working on something that I have been living with that song or songs, collection mm -hmm. of songs for that much time, uh, there, there are times when I will take a break. Mm -hmm. And yes, I will go and listen to something else. I'm a huge fan of progressive rock. I don't mm -hmm. like the shortening 
I don't mind saying right. the whole word progressive. It's not that hard, <laughs> but uh, I'm a huge fan of progressive rock. Mm-hmm. I grew up with it, and I will go and listen to Gentle Giant. Yeah, and uh, and then uh, you know Kansas, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, there are there are a lot of other right, right. great uh, artists like that. Um, you know, uh, Chick Corea. Mm-hmm. Um, so. You know, yeah, this is a way to kind of change gears, especially because, you know, if you're working on the song for 15 hours in a single day, then when you, before you go to bed at night, you need to unwind. I need right. to right. not have that playing in me. Sometimes it's yes. great because I will actually write, I've, write, I've written stuff in my sleep. Oh, wow. <laughs> and then I'll wake up in the morning and I'll write, you know, write it Jeez. out on paper, whatever I came up with. But yeah, so when I need to change gears, that's fine. But when I'm like, for instance, when I'm on the way to the studio, mm. I might not listen to anything in the car on the way because I've got right. everything playing in my head. And again, I'm thinking about contingency planning. Mm-hmm. What if we need to do this? What if we need to do right, that? Right. And, and then the same thing on the way home from the session. I yeah. may just still <laughs> live with it right, for right. And, and just sort of linger in the, of you course. know, in the in the <laughs> ecstasy of the experience, yeah. let's say, right? So uh yeah, so nice. I, I think uh that's that's kind of my philosophy about okay. that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh last question. What would be one tidbit you have for an upcoming arranger? Okay, so like some advice. Yeah. <laughs> so number one is, um, if you are writing for other instruments, mm-hmm. number one, you need to know some good players. Wherever yeah. you live, you need to find yourself the best players in your area, according to you, mm-hmm. not according to whatever, you know, I watched a lot of artists that I was, you know, working for take a blind recommendation. Mm-hmm. And then they'd get this guy in the studio and they were completely like polar opposites, you oh, know, geez. aesthetically speaking, philosophically, mm-hmm. everything. And so you need to find somebody that you really like. And that may not be the guy that everybody else says right. is right. the best, you know, so-and-so player uh on that particular instrument so you need you need to get some good players Mm -hmm. and then you need to put stuff in front of them right okay the one thing that i really love about a lot of the musicians that i work with right now is i can take a screenshot of something that i'm working on and send it to a player and say you know what do you think about this how playable is this Mm. will this be easy to execute can you do this with you know great emotion at whatever 85 bpm yeah you know uh, really loud or, or really soft. You know, right. sometimes it's hard to play really soft right, some right. instruments, you know. Um, and, and, and then, you know, in some cases, these guys will take out their, you know, voice memo thing and mm-hmm. just make a quick voice memo and text it right back right, to me. It's right. like instant feedback, yep. you know, because actually I don't use playback when I write. Okay. And I would recommend that people, I would recommend that to people. If you want to know what real orchestral instruments sound like. If you want to know what a real guitar or electric bass sounds like, don't rely on virtual instruments. When I write something out, even if I'm using playback, I'll use like a grand piano patch or something very, very innocuous, like a a bare bones uh, Fender Rhodes patch or something like that. And I'll get all the playback from that. And then I imagine the instruments in my head. I want to be like Beethoven. Yeah, you know, yeah. he imagined what the orchestra, after he lost his hearing, he right. had to imagine what they sounded like. Huh. And that's how I want to be. And and that's how I think you should be. Uh, you should know what those real instruments sound like. Right. And then 
you want to write idiomatically, find out about those instruments mm -hmm. and know the, you know, you don't have to, I, I, I mean, my dad learned almost every orchestral instrument. Mm -hmm. he, he was interested in that stuff. So you can take that route. That's right. But what I did was <laughs> I got the secondhand knowledge from him mm -hmm. explaining to me why uh, writing this part for a clarinet makes more sense than, right. uh, you know, for instance, for a, right, right. For a sax. But uh, I would say, you know, get to know some great players and yes. work with them, put music in front of them and see how it sounds when you mm -hmm. you know when you work with these with these right, uh, right. with these great instrumental sounds and 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 what you can do because there can be sometimes when you're going to have to write for the people that are in your city right and and you know maybe for whatever reason your city doesn't have a great bass trombonist right for right. example mm -hmm. and uh you know you're gonna have to and and of course you, you know you might you might find somebody in another city who can do this mm -hmm. uh you know via zoom for lack yeah. of a better right. term uh and and then you can uh you can you know you can you can add that into your mix but right. uh you might be stuck in a situation where you have to deal with the players and so then you need to figure out how to make them become the best version of themselves. Right. So that's right. Uh, you know sort of my advice for, for people awesome. who are starting out. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate it. Cool. Thank you. Thanks so much for checking out the show. Make sure to subscribe for all the updates, and I'll see you next week.